Welcome to Dragon Time! Hey, that's what I'm talking about, Craig. Got it. Yes, that's the energy I want. That's what we need. We are excited for Dragon Dragon Talk. Yes! This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast coming at you hot with some punchiness (laughs) and some speed bagging. Just a lot of good uppercuts. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I have been to the gym before. I I have seen movies. (laughs) We are Rocky punching meat around these parts. Um, But yeah, we are excited about this show for you. I am Greg Tito. That was Shelly Mazzanoble with all the amazing sports analogies. Yeah, uppercut. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And today we are talking to two very long-time D&D players, Ursula Vernon and Kevin Sonny. uh, And they are a husband and wife team of... uh, They just make so much stuff. Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, Ursula is an author of many, 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 many books for kids, for adults. She writes comic books. She basically can't stop writing. She writes them so fast that she can't even keep her website updated with all of her new books. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Kevin is a technology professional, but he's done, uh, like I said, podcasting, uh, dungeon mastering, uh, and uh, recently Ursula's taken over some of that dungeon mastering. So yeah. we're going to talk about that as well as... How to be productive. Always good to know. Today's world. Fast-paced oh. modern lifestyle. Right. All that new tech out there to help keep you organized and productive. Or maybe you just like post-it notes. I love notes, whether they be post-it or not. In different colors. Oh, different I really colors. love the neon post-it notes. Mm, love it. I love just to slide a note over to my Peleas and let them see physically <laughs> them um, unfolding them. Uh. All the above. Yes. Uh, I hope everyone is delving into Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. It is out everywhere in North America. Uh, (laughs) It'll be out in other regions very soon, but I love the groundswell of community who have been uh, excited about this uh, anthology of adventures that are all set around the Radiant Citadel, a city in the ethereal plane. So cool. Beautiful book. Beautiful book. Beautiful. Yeah. I will um, say, if you like the color purple, you will like this book. The, the book? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, the movie. Oprah? Wait, the musical. Ah, uh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, um, with Oprah. With Oprah? Yeah, but seriously, if you like, uh, it's just a very vibrant, uh, amazing so book, cool. especially that alternate cover that you can only get through game stores. It's Gorge. Gorge. Love it. Yes, everything about that book is just wonderful. Good stuff. Check it out. Yeah. In the uh, meantime, we've got Dan Dillon coming with us to meet some of his monsters. Oh, boy. He always we'll be brings back us. with Ursula and Kevin. So let's, uh, let's talk to Dan. All right. Welcome to another segment of Meet Your Monsters featuring Dan Dillon. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me back on again. Yay. Very excited to talk about uh, these monsters. Uh, The Niyoki, 
or, or Neo Guy. Neo Guy. Not, yes. not super or, sure. <laughs> yes, I like that they it's 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 ambiguous. In your campaign, yes. it can be anything. But what are what are these monsters? Tell us about them. All right. So these are uh, last time that we uh, we had a lovely chat. We talked about some lovely, fun, friend-shaped aberrations. We're going to swing that pendulum to the other side of the spectrum now because these are also aberrations. But these are more like what you usually think of. The best way to describe them is they're kind of eel spiders. They okay. have bodies of spiders, and then these long eel-like bodies and necks with uh, their their weird. <sighs> fanged heads at the top. Uh, so they're, they're just the stuff of nightmares right out of the gate. Uh, they are, <laughs> they are world spanning, slave taking evil, uh, just awful things. <laughs> okay. So how big are these guys? Uh, depends. Depends on what we're talking about. They range from tiny to large, I think. Uh, oh. Tiny to medium. Tiny to medium. The full-grown adults are small, so, you know, about the size of, uh, like, a family dog. Not a not a big mastiff, but, a, you know. Okay. Tiny. The, their hatchlings are these itty little, bloody, uh, just nasty little squirmy things. And then the ancient ones, the, uh, the Neogai masters, are people-sized. Hefty people-sized, but medium nonetheless. <laughs> uh, oh, I just have, like, this, this icky vision of, like... The Niyogi climbing up like the side of something, oh, yeah. a cliffside. Yeah. Like all, all you start to see are those ugly little spider legs, and then that mm-hmm. eel face comes up. Oh, ah! yeah, and they have grabby little weird hands on the front of some of their spider legs, and it's just it's, oh. it goes from bad to worse. <laughs> yeah, but they're intelligent, right? So they are. Oh yeah, yeah. They are, they have like a society to them. They do, oh. yeah. And they left their homeworld eons ago, and uh, they subjugated particularly Umberhulks, big, brutish, you know, uh, strong monsters, and uh, sort of mentally controlled them and conditioned them and used them as labor to build these massive spacefaring ships. And they just left their homeworld and struck out into space and any other worlds and moons and bodies they could find. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're all, they have they're these con- giant spider-shaped ships flying around wild space. And, yeah. And the crew is all made up of these eel spider monsters. So it's th- that's going to be like your command crew. Mm. And then your rank and file are going to be things like Umberhulks that they control to do all of the menial tasks. And then to do, you know, boarding actions if they want to get a hold of your ship and or raid your settlement and uh, take supplies or people or whatever they're looking for. And then whatever other creatures they've kind of uh, crushed with their mental domination abilities. What the? Yeah. I know. Can, I'm looking at can. Shelley's reaction here. They can control our minds. They sure can. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's they're they're very very good at it. So they're they're spooky and creepy, but they're not. You know, they don't do the whole mind flare, brain eating, knock you out thing. They just, uh, yeah, they they just uh, overwhelm your mind and make you work for them. So what would what would that feel like? So if, well, actually, if you're a dungeon master and your your players are facing. One of these or multiple, or are they like in a group together, or do they travel in packs or individual? Yeah, so it kind of depends on how you're gonna how you're gonna face them, right? Uh, uh, the way they reproduce is when a neo guy gets old and infirm and is nearing sort of the end of its life. 
its fellows turn on it and bite it and inject it with a special venom that transforms its body into Neogai hatchlings. So oh my of, God. They dissolve their elderly into their young. <laughs> Don't we all? So uh, you could oh. have fun things where you come across maybe a derelict ship or a crash site or maybe a place that's been raided and you find bodies, you know, remnants of a battle and some of these weird, you know, alien creatures you maybe have never seen before. And as you're investigating, it ruptures and you get to deal with this wonderful little swarm, uh, lowercase s, not a capital S swarm, but a whole yeah. bunch of these little hatchlings that have just sort of popped up surprise out of nowhere. And that could be your introduction to these terrible creatures. So awful. It almost reminds me of like aliens and like xenomorphs a little bit, like how they can. It it hits a couple of those notes. A little bit less of the, um, you know, your friend is carrying the alien around with them until the worst possible moment. And more of a, uh, you know, it's sort of a cannibalistic thing. You could maybe come across them doing this kind of ritualistically. And that could be a a fun introduction to to sort of viewing these creatures from afar to foreshadow what sort of foes they'll be. Or, you know, the surprise, you come across a body they've left behind that's going to turn into hatchlings. And then you get to deal with that. Uh, Yeah, that sounds... Fun. Um, <laughs> it does actually as a dungeon master. As a dungeon to like, master, yeah. If you're, yeah, yeah. if if they didn't know what happens to an old infirm Niyogi, if it just was like, oh, this is just like some dead monster. Mm-hmm. Let's set up camp here. <laughs> this guy won't bother us. Um, and then it does, and then it turns into all the little hatchlings. Uh, yeah. Can the hatchlings control your mind too, or do you no, have to be can't. more mature? That's, that's okay. the purview of a more sort of uh, mature neo guy. And uh, to be specific, it's not like they just sort of melt the body into uh, young. It sort of makes it a nutrient-rich place for them to lay their eggs, and then oh, okay. eggs hatch. So it's a okay. little more normal than than what I suggested initially, but <laughs> yeah, it's still horrible. I like so, your idea too, though, Dan. Yeah, that, as that they're depicted in uh, yeah. in Monsters of the Multiverse, um, they have little waistcoats on. Yeah, so they wear yeah, the dapper, dapper little fellas. Yeah, <laughs> that almost makes them worse, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they? not just, they're not just pure monsters. They are intelligent. They have a society. They have a sense of style. <laughs> Where do they get their wardrobe? Where'd they get their like clothing? They have they're hands, wearing... right? So they can make they, it. Themselves. They have hands. They, I'm sure, they could make their own. They probably force others to do it for them, though. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, my God. Why is this making me now kind of like them? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a little hmm. view into Shelly's brain there. There's a window. Like they're, yeah. like, they're like, now I just want them in like little top hats and canes. And they're oh, little yeah. Yeah. Dapper them up, give them a little monocle. Yep. Yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> yeah. You know, a set of eight cufflinks for their, their little spider legs. For their Oh, okay, it's kind of cute now. I love that the clothes that they're depicted as wearing do not cover up any of the the parts we might consider as their nether bits. It just goes on their backs. Yeah, yeah, it's just on, uh, I guess we would call the thorax of the spider. Right. (laughs) The smaller sort of middle part. Probably gets more of a chill on their back. So it's practical. (laughs) Fashion before function, Greg. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're a fun mix of, you know, insectile chitin and also kind of fuzzy and yeah yeah <laughs> okay well, I, I also like that they're kind of a, on the low side as far as challenge rating goes right so they they're are level yeah, three, yeah, yeah, yeah which yep. means that you can kind of throw them at your party pretty early in a campaign 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so these would make great antagonists for sort of a tier one uh, style arc or campaign. And then uh, you could even bump them up as you move on by having bigger and more uh, sort of nasty, nastier, meaner, higher challenge rating minions that they're controlling. So the boss behind everything is this Neo guy master who's only challenge rating four, but it, it and its buddies have a pack of Umber Hulks that, <laughs> that you have to worry about. Always? Like would if you see one of these, is it safe to assume there's Umber Hulks? So, yeah, that, that's kind of culturally their thing is they they long ago uh, enslaved Umber Hulks. And so they sort of keep those around. And that's kind of their workforce um, for, for most of these uh, these monstrous folk, <laughs> monstrous spider eels that are roaming around the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so the, the, one of the, the, the worst parts of this is, is if you run into Neogai that don't, have minions around, that means their enslavability is ready to go. So maybe mm. you and your friends are going to be Oh, ready. yeah. That's a good point. That's yeah. a really good point. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. always a great way to challenge a party uh, who may be tired of, you know, the first kind of levels of beating up goblins or whatever, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, all right, we're going to take one of your party members and, and turn that's, it against you. Yeah, that's always a fun twist. And that's usually Ooh. sort of the, the purview of slightly mid to higher challenge rating things. Uh, so it's cool to see one as low as CR3. I think the the standard you know adult Neo guy is CR3 and also has the enslaved bonus action. Oh, and it's a bonus action. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So it could do that in addition to, you know, horrible poisonous bite. And the, the masters a, are sort of like warlocky spellcasters. So as a DM, though, it's always kind of hard to do that type of uh, control your party thing, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. if you have a small party. So, like, as how would you use that? Would you use it against like NPC allies a little bit more rather than oh, the party that's a itself? Good idea. Yeah, so it depends on the setup, um, mm-hmm. and it heavily depends on who I'm playing with. Um, I've played with some people who are just kind of not okay with the idea of losing control of their character to mind control abilities, and that's something as a DM I always like to check in on early on a campaign. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit more, I, I guess the, the general term for it is old school in that regard, where I, you know, when I go into a D&D game, I am sort of consenting for terrible, horrible, evil, magical stuff to happen. So it's fine, right? If I blow my saving throw, I get blown up by a fireball. I get killed by a death spell. I get charmed, whatever. Some people are not okay with that, and that's okay. And it's important to know if your players are or are not okay with that. So that is definitely something that you want to check in on early before you even start in the session zero um, sort of scenario. And then kind of revisit, especially if you're going to use monsters like this in an ongoing fashion. Just check in every now and then, especially after you have like your first encounter and someone gets mind controlled and just make sure everyone's still cool with it. And if they are, great. Uh, In the case that they are, um, how I would use them would really depend on the composition of the party, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly if you have someone who's, say, a big slab of brawn but doesn't have great wisdom or wisdom saving throws. You know, barbarians are sort of the uh, the go-to example of this, right? They can just wade through armies at some points because of their, their damage resistance from rage, their massive hit points, their ability to deal staggering amounts of damage. But when they have to make those wisdom saving throws and now you have to deal with the wall of brawn, that kind of turns the tables, right? And, and so it depends on who the other members of the party are. I, I don't want to turn a character against 
their fellows if that's going to mean, well, the barbarian can probably one-shot the wizard. Yeah. Yeah, you have to use those things sparingly. These are interesting in that the, the Neogai and other mind-controlling creatures sort of have another level of DM overhead that you have to worry about. Not only do you have to worry about, are the monsters I'm going to build an encounter with going to be too much for my players? Are the players themselves going to be too much for their allies to deal with if I turn them against each other? Mm. So um, it's a very interesting dynamic, but it does have some complications you need to watch out for. Makes sense. Yeah. So use these, uh, you know, not necessarily sparingly, but just like make sure that you're... With care. And and use them very deliberately. Don't just sort of throw them in on a whim because that that can go any which way. And you don't want to, you know, throw things out of whack uh, without meaning to. How would you use, because I'm noticing here in the, in the Enslave uh, bonus action here, it says that the, the target can uh, communicate telepathically mm-hmm. with uh, the, the Neogi. How would you use that? How can that be kind of a diabolical way for them to like get information, that type of thing? Yeah. So a great way to use that is sort of the, the, the sleeper spy angle where you could have um, sort of a hit and run kind of encounter with Neogai where there's maybe a Neogai master and some lesser ones. It sends the lesser ones or some minions out as fodder to distract them. It hits one of the PCs or, or an ally. An NPC ally is also a good target for this sort of thing with an enslave. And if it lands it, then it can disengage. It can bug out. You can just get out of there, let whoever it is either get away or die, whatever. Yeah, they don't. They probably don't tend to care overly much if they have to expend a few pawns to uh, to enact a greater strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, as long as this thing lasts, uh, and I think it's what it lasts a day. Um, so it's it's got a hold of your your friend for for twenty four hours. And so it can just lurk somewhere within a mile and it has a telepathic link to the person it's enslaved and uh, that person will obey their commands. So it could just say, hey, act normally. Tell me what your friends are planning. Yeah. Uh, Tell me what the combination is when you delve into those ruins and unlock the vault. That sort of thing, you know? That seems really fun. So are you saying that in order to do the enslave action, the Niyogi could be up to a mile away or they no, no, have no, no, to no, be no. face-to-face? Okay. Yeah, it's got to be pretty close to you. 30 I think feet, the range so, is 30 yeah. feet. And uh, But once it's locked in on you, then it, it can, can, move it up can to a mile. control you while it is within a mile of you. So is it possible, like, do they have to have line of sight on their target? Like, is yeah. it possible that, like, you could become enslaved by this creature and... Your party has no idea how that sure. happened. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, kind of cool. So uh, the enslave doesn't require anything like concentration, um, and it's not a spell. So, like, what if your neo guy master is invisible, either through a potion or a, a spell, or you know, a, a minion that it has, has has cast invisibility on it, or it has a ring, something fun like that? It could be lurking nearby, magically cloaked. Or spider climbed on the top and of then, the yep, cavern. Spider climbing on the ceiling yeah. and then just scuttle away. And then it can just sit back and wait for the oh. information to roll in. Or wait until everyone's asleep and that person and one other person are on watch. And it says, <gasps> now is the time to stab someone. <laughs> what if like the party woke up in the middle of the night and just saw like one of their party members like stitching together a little waistcoat? A little just waistcoat, to- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the paladin doing over there? Like, why? Why are you knitting a sweater with eight uh-huh. sleeves? <laughs> <laughs> why are you just gonna leave it here when we? Like, that's how they get their clothes. 
Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's harmless. They just want a waistcoat and then they'll leave you alone. That's it. Yep. Um, how would you, so I love asking you these things because you got sure. uh, a great way to do it. So how would you voice these characters oh, yeah, in yeah. your head? I'm thinking of Ooh, the moth spiders um, from, uh, from the animated Hobbit movie. Uh, oh, yeah, you could kind of go, and I, I think I would change it up a little bit depending on which type of neo-guy you're, you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. The hatchlings, um, they don't speak language they're they're not really that intelligent yet so they're just kind of like squeals and chitters and and scuttling sounds almost like you do with any monstrous like rat or spider or you know any weird creature like that um the adult neo guy i think like the spiders from the hobbit that's that's kind of a good way to go with it a little nasally and pinched and hissy and little back of the throat that sort of thing and then i think for the masters they're bigger maybe more bloated lazier they don't have to do much they have minions to do everything for them so you could go a little bit more low and deep and sort of rumbly maybe like uh like a vogon from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy or something like that if you wanted to be nice <laughs> a little silly with them yeah. <laughs> i love that uh and i love uh neogis i i had uh read about them but i hadn't quite like delved into their lore a little bit. And now I think they might be a really fun monster to throw at people, especially as Spelljammers coming out here. Yep. A, 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 a ship of these attacking you would be pretty uh, terrifying as well as the stealthily ways that they can uh, mind control people. It could be, could be yeah. really fun. Yeah, and there's even, uh, there's even description in deck plans and statistics for a Neogi Night Spider uh, Spelljamming mm-hmm. ship. So, oh. so you're ready to go. Yeah, just crew them up and send them out there. Crew them up. Um, and then, according to Marisha Ray on uh, D and D Beyond, it is Neogi. Neogi. Um, so, but there we go. It's pronounced differently across the multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So. Well, well, thanks, good. Dan. That's, that's sort of what I default to. So, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> Neogi. Thanks for letting us meet these 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 wonderfully eight legged and well dressed gentlemen. You- Spider eels. I just spider uh, eels. <laughs> You do bring us some gems, Dan. You really do. I love it. Hey, last time it it was a friend-shaped gem, at least. (laughs) Yeah, the opposite end of the aberration spectrum. I love it. Uh, well, if people want to ask you questions about, uh, you know, any flapjack or or, or uh, uh, some other named Neogi master who is going to be coming at us, uh, how can they do that? Sure. Uh, best place to do that is probably on the Twitter at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. Can't wait to meet some more of your monsters. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. Can't wait thanks, to chat again. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Bye. I know things about the Neogi or the Neoji, depending on how you're supposed to pronounce it. Except that part. Still is it a hard the, G or still, a soft G? Is it GIF versus GIF or still GIF? Still up in the air on that one, I it's guess. It's TIFF. I'm having a TIFF with you, Shelly. No, you're not. We don't have TIFFs. We have only hugs. Riffs. Riffs. Riffs, <laughs> not TIFF. <laughs> <laughs> that was our Bill and Ted's Exit Adventure. Like, <laughs> Well, we know that you are an avid air guitarist, as it's we true. saw on the shores of Elkai Beach. I know how to air guitar, whether oh. it's air bass or air banjo. I can air drum. I can air piano. With whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. A one-man air band. When you love piano rock like Ben Folds or Elton John or Billy Joel, you just you have to know how to air piano. 
You do. I think that's how they all started, in fact. That's true. With a little air piano. That Speaking of Elkai Beach, that reminds me of something. My dad, we have absolutely created a monster by having him on the show because now he's like not only like talking about like what other podcasts he can do. Nice. Uh, when he's allowed back, but he now he's also like really into giving D and D advice. Um, having played he, once, he's been recognized a few or not recognized, but he's been acknowledged because he wore that D and D T shirt all mm-hmm. over West Seattle. He had another guy who's like the guy almost caused an accident because he slammed his brakes on when I was on the sidewalk and he wanted to say hello to me. Um, now he That's thinks crazy. that we need to have a, um, a our own special call like a uh what am i trying to think like a saying a catchphrase he's insistent he was like did you tell greg yet about my idea I'm like no what's his idea for the catchphrase does he have he didn't come up with one he was uh. just he was kind of inspired by our kids spending the fourth of july screaming can i get a so he wants to have he thinks D D should have like a yeah like when you see each other and right that's that's how you make the acknowledgement that so anyway, putting it out there to all of you listening, please help my dad come up with this catchphrase uh, and make it happen. I, That's I, so I, funny. I said I would, I would talk to you about it, and I have done my And here you are. Duty. You have Dragon Talk to me about it. I have. There is only one place that I get to talk to you about it, and that's Dragon Talk. You know what's weird is that you saying this reminds me of a very specific comic Back when they had comics in the newspapers, Shu, yeah. remember Shu? I I do. He was like a newspaper editor. Yeah. And he was saying how like there was a a series of commercials about like the Jeep where they like when other Jeep drivers would see each other, they would like beep beep at each other. And he would say, and the guy who was the mechanic in that character had a like really like jalopy old car. And he said, you know, some you know, Jeep owners beep to each other. We just wave our uh toolboxes at each other. <laughs> Anybody remembers that comic? I don't know why That's, I do. Wow, that really that just stayed in your head and for like thirty five years. And it actually like had a purpose. Like it was <laughs> yeah. just lingering there and it was like, Oh my god, this is my time. This is my time. This I'm my gonna time be referenced. So yeah. we should wave our uh uh dice making what like a dice roll. What if you don't have roll? like make a well if you make like a dice rolling Jester, that could be misconstrued. And that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I've done that before. And he, <laughs> I'm just rolling my air dice, I swear. <laughs> Detention! <laughs> Get that kid out of here. <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to workshop. Uh, yes, and, we'll uh, brainstorm. Get everything going with this catchphrase. In the meantime, let's talk to Ursula and Kevin. All right. Everyone, let's welcome Ursula Vernon and Kevin Sani to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Woo-hoo! So Woo. excited you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing the wave. Woo! Woo. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to Muppet Flail or no. Uh, you can d- definitely Muppet Flail is always okay. a good Woo. choice. There you go. Got it out of my system. <laughs> Love a good flail, for sure. Well, you two have been playing uh, you know, D&D together, as well as uh, Ursula. You're an author and working on podcasts together. you got so many projects going on, uh, but we're excited to talk to you about all of them. Yeah, how long do you have? We really do have way too many projects. Plenty of time. I yeah. So I that like Greg said, there is your your uh backgrounds, your bios are are incredibly rich. Ursula is an author, an illustrator, 
uh, and TRPG enthusiast, as well as you, Kevin, who's Ursula's GM as well. Uh, or, well, there has been a little bit of a role reversal recently. A little, little bit of a break after after running for about 10 years. I, I needed a break from being a GM. And- 10 years. <laughs> Ten years, yeah, and so um, it was. Uh, she's like, "Sure, I'll give it a try," and so that's what we've been doing for the last. Has it been a year now? Oh, I never did math. Okay, yeah, it's it's been Time. a bit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am really curious about this uh, topic, Ursula, as somebody who's kind of a lifelong player. Well, as long as I've been playing D anD D, not my whole life, but. Um, <laughs> And, like, very tentative about making that switch to Dungeon Master. So, uh, totally appreciate, Kevin, that after a decade you might need a break. <laughs> uh, but what was that like for you, Ursula, to take on that new role? Uh, well, because uh, I was already a writer and I am used to, uh, uh, weirdly enough, I am on a lot of uh, panels at conventions and stuff, so I'm pretty good at improv and improv is the skill you need to be a GM. That is that is the number one thing is that because the players will never do what you you are hoping they would do. And so you uh, <laughs> you have to, you know, no matter how you set it up, you're going to have to improvise uh, almost immediately. And so that part was actually surprisingly easy. I didn't uh, I didn't have a lot of stress over okay, what if I want them to go left and they go right uh, up until the uh, a few months in where they would not ask for directions. It was the, the entire party would not ask for directions to the Temple of Elemental Evil. And for like four sessions, they wander around going down, and, and I'm trying to play. I started with a module because I thought life would be easier if I had a module because yeah. you know, everything is laid out. Right. And uh, in a fit of poor planning, uh, the module I picked was the remake of Temple of Elemental Evil. Uh, who did the, the reskin of that one, Darren? That's, um, so that's the Goodman Games original Adventures Reincarnated um, Temple of Elemental Evil. Uh, it's actually. In terms of a conversion, it's a really good conversion because it matches the like AD and D original, just ported up to five E. Right. The problem is that it matches the AD and D original, like beat for beat, note for note, warts and all. And it, I, the thing is, I played Temple of Elemental Evil as a video game back. Mm. A million years ago, and uh, I, I liked it, so I was like, "Hey, sure, let's do that one." And uh, found out that uh, the way they used to design modules and the way that we play them now are two different worlds, <laughs> and also that uh, the 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 first section, I guess, as as many of your your long time geek listeners will know is is extremely detailed well put together it was a a a marvel you know the the whole village of of hamlet was was fantastic and then the rest of the module came out some years later and it makes no goddamn sense uh, like there's 
uh, there's so many things that are like, okay, so this is all tied up into the politics of gods in Greyhawk. And we never did anything in Greyhawk. We were Forgotten Realms people. Yeah. And even the politics don't make any sense. It's this God, but no, it's actually this God over here. But oh, okay, it's actually this third God. Just like if any of these were supposed to be a big reveal, uh, it doesn't work because none of us care about any of those gods. And also there's like these whole sections that are just brutally uh they're made for for the sort of players that uh i think came in from wargaming and are you know mm -hmm. min-maxing everything and and have diabolical plans to use all of their magic items in whatever way and our players are a bunch of nice people who try to adopt every stray animal they run across Aww. and i love them to pieces and I have been the the person adopting all the stray animals, which uh, is is why Kevin has that expression right now. <laughs> so what you're saying is that adventure design has improved in 30 years. It has certainly, I, I, I believe it has certainly become uh, much 40 years, more 50 years even. available to a wider audience because by after a point, I was just like, mm -hmm. okay, guys. I know it says you can go over here. I'm asking you not to because there is no goddamn point. And I put that bit of detail in because the module said to. But you can kill just, monsters just, and get their loot over there if you want. Yeah, I was like, there's there's just no point to this whatsoever. Please don't. Uh, yeah, and uh, having to uh, come up with all the ways to get them to the adventure because they keep doing things that apparently that a sensible party would probably not do. And so I'm like, okay. Miss, having to I once seduced a door that was a, just a set piece. And instead everyone runs in and what's going on here and what's behind the door and <laughs> miss what level two paladin diplomacy seducing a door to open which with i have nothing behind it so i have to make everything up on the fly i don't know anyone who would do anything like that <laughs> how do you seduce I, a door I, by I, I yeah i need it was know. a magical door so we oh. figured it was sentient enough that it, it had enough going on that with uh, diplomacy and charisma i uh, i i it basically i went full um self-help and asked the door to take a journey to openness together with me oh wow and oh. yeah it uh, uh kind of amazing yeah I, yeah I would give you advantage on that role i totally would <laughs> Yeah, oh, it was it was four e, so we didn't have advantage yet. Oh, um, uh, right. But got it. Uh, you know, and that that's that was the danger. I think I was play. We were basically play testing someone else's module. They had a bunch of color things you could walk by or whatever, with no other information. Just like you can walk by this, you might see it, you might see that, and nothing else. And. You know, it's like, but what if the players want to interact? Suddenly, I'm learning to improv on the fly, right? Yeah. I mean, all modules, I think, are like that because there's lots of room in there. But the uh, uh, at least Elemental Evil kept setting up all of these blind alleys. And it was like, okay, you've gone down there because the module said you could. But we could have just excised this whole, you know, section and nothing of value would be lost. Right, right. Now, that's so, what I'm saying. Adventure design has been improving uh, decade by decade. And that's why 
when we wanted to take the ideas behind Elemental Evil, put it into Princes of the Apocalypse, uh, and uh, you right, know, right. got some of those same themes and things going on without all of the, you know, let's walk into this just to kill all the monsters uh, type of thing. But I wanted to ask you guys, like, have you been following what's going on with uh, recent releases like Radiant Citadel uh, as well as Spelljammer coming up? Are you excited about any of those? Kevin, I'll throw it to you. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited. Um, I haven't seen Spelljammer since first edition, right? Um, I had a play gap. Like, I played first edition and then life happened and I didn't, we didn't play again until, I didn't play D&D again until fourth edition. So mm. I've been really excited about a lot of these, these new releases that are throwbacks to the really old school stuff. Um, actually, I think my digital copy of Radiant Citadel just landed okay. on D&D Beyond. Mm-hmm. I think that just came out. I'm yeah. really excited yes, about the, uh, yeah, um, all the content in there. Um, Spelljammer, I am just stoked about all of the options and things that it's bringing in. And the new, uh, there was just a Fiendfolio um, update with a couple new options that are just like really cool looking. Um, a new race, um, I'm just I as as someone who is you know I'm starting to think about what's the next phase of the campaign when I come back as a GM and I'm looking at all of these new options that have come out in the last year or so, um, including Monsters of the Multiverse and the updated uh, Tasha's and um, all that stuff, and I'm just like so stoked to be able to start giving this or showing this to my players or incorporating it into our homebrew world or things like that. Yeah. And with your work as a uh, IT professional, how do you mm-hmm. balance the the more creative side of, of Dungeons and Dragons? Is it is it a nice balance for you, where you have like, oh, I, my work is mostly more technical and code based, and my 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 leisure time is more <laughs> uh, not that, or or do you free bring flow. that into it? I, I kind of free flow. Um, mm. I mean, I do time box my working hours. Um, I, I'm fortunate to work for a company that is very much, we're remote first and we're very much, um, your work hours are when your work hours and when you're done working, just turn it off, walk away. Right. And don't feel the need to work 12 hours. That's not healthy work. You know, we want you to have a balance. We want you to be healthy. Um, so, uh, when I'm finding creative solutions for things at work, whether it's technical, whether, you know, whether it's procedural, whether it's, you know, actual writing code, um, it's engaging, I think, maybe a different part of my brain. Whereas when I'm working on the fantasy, when I'm working on D&D or I'm working on something like that, it's uh, engaging more of a storytelling thing. Like, I, I'm not really telling stories in at work. I'm more like putting other people's the, the pieces of other people's stories together. And that's fine, right? I mean, sometimes I have to find creative solutions to make those stories work, not going to lie. Um, but it's very different from sitting down and going, here's a world and here are the people in it. And, you know, I've got all the rules around how they interact. So, you know, how are my players going to interact with it? And what's going on? It's It's, it's a very different mindset. And I love being able to, you know, end a day and then just go look at that for a couple hours or 
you know, read the latest, uh, read a fantasy novel to to help generate ideas. I've got like a whole bunch of third-party resources. I use those to generate ideas the same way I would cruise around Wikipedia looking for, um, you know, uh, technical or d- discussions of technical implementations of things that I might need to do for work. Seems like a great right, right brain, left brain existence. You are very I try. Balanced. I try. <laughs> but with your technical background, so do you incorporate tech into your games, like like virtual tabletops or other? Oh, what's your thoughts I, on that? Or do you not? So, is it like don't mix no chocolate and peanut butter? No, no. We <laughs> we were distributed from the beginning. I mean, that's what's interesting. When we started, we had um, the two of us um, in one town in North Carolina. My cousin in another town. Um, about 45 minutes away, another player, another 45 minutes away, and then a player in the D.C. area who later moved to Colorado. Since then, we've added a player who was in um, the Philadelphia area who moved down here, so it's yet a fourth location in North Carolina, Um, and then um, another Colorado player. Uh, So tech has always been a part of it from... Uh, I don't know if you remember this one, but there used to be a Python program called OpenRPG. No. And it was a little crude. It was a, a simple virtual tabletop. Um, you could put an image map, you could put in tokens, you could move around. But, uh, you know, and we used, I think, TeamSpeak for a while for chat. Um, TeamSpeak. Because wow. they're. Yeah, right. There really wasn't another way. Yeah. Um, my old war, the then, world of Warcraft, um, you know, pings just went oh, off yeah. in my head. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we used Ventrilo before that, which again, the world right. of Warcraft things are going off in your head. Yeah. Totally. Um, because those were what we had. Right. Um, and then moved to Roll20. And eventually, the bit where I'm buying all of my resources three times. Um, in order to have resources and beyond, to have resources in um, Roll20 and to have the book, it got a little tedious um, Not and expensive. expensive. Right, yeah, yeah, really expensive. Um, it's like how I switched. bought um, uh, <laughs> yeah. the Beatles albums in cassette tapes and albums and CDs yeah. and now digitally. Yeah, yep. but <laughs> at, at the same time, I've bought the collected works of Alice Cooper. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, or um, or every time uh, a new like a new platform <laughs> comes out, there's like one or two books that are like I just have to have it there, and so I end up buying it again. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, uh, it's so funny, I think my daughter's I have, getting into vinyl now too, and I'm like, really? Is oh really? You want to do one more format? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when vinyl was the platform. Yeah. So. Oh, but it's the coolest. <laughs> I love that she's into that. I remember my grandmother had Engelberg Comperdink eight tracks. So, oh you know, God! It's... My parents <laughs> had my that. My parents did too. Yes, yeah. I remember the eight track. Oh God, that oh, is God, a yeah. blast. Well, I bet I, I still that know name. those songs. Who, who named yes. that person Engelbert Humperdink? It sounds like a Weird Al Yankovic made-up name. Yes. Right. I, Humperdink. I know, I know. Humperdink, like from or uh, a good Pride. NPC name. Yeah, it could be uh, a good yeah. NPC. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely an evil prince. Humperdink yeah. meets yeah. you at the tavern. And <laughs> <laughs> just, just call me Angle. Angle, it's fine. right? Yeah. Angle What's your Bert. full name? Oh. Never mind. 
My friend says call me E or E or A or whatever. E, I think. Yeah. Bertie, come over. Mom, stop it. What program are we using now? It's the Forge, I think. Well, no, Forge is the host. We switched to Foundry. I want to say that's about two years ago, or at least. Over a year ago, we switched to Foundry. Um, I went with the Forge hosting because I work on technical stuff all day. I don't want to be maintaining my own servers at night. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I could stand up a virtual Foundry, but or my own Foundry like in the house, but I don't want to deal with it. So um, I got to say that again, Forge that right brain, left brain thing. You want to be like, yeah, hey, this yeah, is exactly. for fun times. Exactly. Um, and uh, the Forge has been great for hosting. Um, they have some great plugins that let you. Uh, Foundry is is been really solid. Has some great plugins that integrate directly with Beyond. Um, so as long as I own it in my campaign, I can you know click import and copy the resources or the creature or the items that I or the entire character sheet in with a click of a button. It's been amazing. Um, and it's actually been fun. pretty user friendly because learning to GM is just this wave of all these things you have to sort. And this has made it uh, pretty straightforward, honestly. <laughs> it's uh, uh, the fact that I can just click various buttons and be like, okay, import that monster. All right, there we go. Has, has made my life a lot easier totally. uh, in terms of, of learning to GM as opposed to if I had to sit there with pencil and paper and track every single one of these damn kobolds or what I'd be, yeah, there would be a lot of sorrow and weeping. Yeah. After a while you just and, start writing notes down and you're like, I'll get, I'm, those make sense <laughs> now, but they don't need to make sense I, in the future. And uh, I have, from I, I have great ideas oh. and I don't write them down and, and then, uh, or, uh, I have a great idea. I have somewhere. I have a Microsoft doc that or a word doc. I'm like, Okay, do this in some future point, uh, <laughs> or have this mm-hmm. character come back later. Yeah. Well, you have written a lot, though. You've gotten a lot of down on paper. You've got uh, how many? Yeah. How many books total? Twenty, twenty some novels. Don't do the math. Uh, Don't do the math. <laughs> it's close to forty if Over, we count. Oh. Uh, if we count anthologies and uh, and comic book collections, yeah, I'm somewhere over forty. But wow, I, I stopped trying to add them up. I mean, like 20 of them were kids' books, though, so they, they were short. That doesn't matter. Yeah. That's almost Kids' books are almost even harder to write. I would, I'm, oh, yeah, having, it, it, having never written one, I'm just assuming. I read a lot. Uh, it's difficult because you don't have a lot of space to work in. Yeah. So it's, you, you have to do everything, and you have to keep them engaged. And mm-hmm. then you, your editor has to uh, uh, go in and take all the parts out that are not appropriate for children because you're a frustrated <laughs> horror author. Uh, <laughs> not that I know anything about that. Uh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> you're like, why can't I adapt Telltale Heart for my children? Uh, well, why I couldn't know. you? I'm, you could I, I wanted to do Dracula uh, <laughs> as a uh, the the ser- kids book series that I did most recently, Hamster Princess, were all fairy tale retellings, and I was like, Dracula's like a fairy tale, and I was like, come on, Renfield can be a flying squirrel; it'll be great, <laughs> and uh, you know, Dracula's a bat, obviously, and yeah, oh, they, I think this. Oh, maybe you could make one with like. I'm just like D and D familiars or something like because you do <laughs> well, a lot I, with the animals. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, our, our campaign is is sort of is anthropomorphic because we we had a bunch of furries in the party, and uh, we were like. Yeah. yeah, let's just lean into it. Uh, we, we actually tried starting with Iron Claw, but uh, that is a great system if you like political intrigue and uh, never being in combat. And we are much more of a, why don't we hit it with a brick and see what happens kind of party. <laughs> and that's, that was one of the things like, um, so if you're not familiar with Iron Claw, uh, it is a fantastic anthropomorphic world um it's from sanguine games um norman rafferty their um chief editor owner i'm not sure all the hats that that rafferty wears um he and i have sat down once or twice and going okay here's the philosophy behind iron claw and, you know, and I'm having to explain this is why that doesn't necessarily work with our group, because our group is trying to, you know, play in a different style. It is an amazing system. I cannot talk up how good a system it is. Um, it's just not right for our group. And I think that's something important when you're looking at systems and whatever yeah. uh, and doing it, whether it's D&D. Um, we did Dungeon Fantasy as a sort of an experiment in between 4E and 5E while we were waiting for content and tools for 5e mostly. Um, and you know, it's it's it all boils down to what works for your group. Um, and well, I, I think that's I really, love like yeah. No, I, I, I was gonna say really I love Iron Claw for its resources. Oh my god, the resources are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you you are a big proponent of session zero. Uh, mm-hmm. and that is just what you just said about hey, you need to find the right you know, a system or, or a right campaign for your group. I mean, that's what that's all about. Now, I can personally attest to, hey, I wanted to run this campaign, and I, I think I sold it to my group. But as they're playing it, I'm like, you're not playing the kind of campaign that I was thinking of, and I really yeah. would have benefited from from more Session Zero kind of check-ins like that like you, you like to do. And, and yeah, it I helps to know your players. Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we are all just relentlessly good uh we we're never gonna play an evil party we we want to go help the world and adopt all the dogs and uh save the world and although that being said we will also occasionally accidentally burn down the town uh because uh we mean well while we do it it's just you know the the very good-natured murder hobos so anything that involves, you know, intense political intrigue or picking up on very specific clues is uh, completely lost because, you know, we, we jet. What I've learned as a new GM is that frequently you have to hit your players with a sledgehammer over and over before a fact gets through their skull. Uh, but the one throwaway comment you made in a description, they seize on with <laughs> like a vise and they're like, okay, but, but. Well, can I go up on the roof? You said the, the roof. Uh, <laughs> okay, I guess you could go up on the roof, but it's a thatch roof. But oh, oh you're going to set the roof on fire. Ah, uh, hmm. Okay, hmm. I didn't plan for that. All Sounds right. like a good Give dance a song. Set the roof on fire. Set the roof on fire. Yeah, that would be a good. One. <laughs> the roof. The roof. The roof is there on fire. We don't need roof. no water. Let the yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So do you do that, Kevin? Do you do the session zeros to make sure that you're 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 when you're GMing that it all makes sense? 
I think one of the things, it, it wasn't something I learned about until more recently, especially with the release of Van Richten, where they talk very heavily about doing session zero. So it's something I've yes. started to incorporate in. We want to we want a session zero. We want a level set. We want to make sure everybody's comfort, uh, comfort level is okay. And as with um, a whole bunch of productivity systems that I've studied over the years, I think going back and doing a session zero 2.0 or session zero three or whatever, like every so often to check in with your players to, you know, make sure your level set, especially if you have new players coming into an existing world and campaign, um, having that sit down with the entire group and say, okay, this is how it's been. Where do we want to, you know, where do we want to adapt? Where do we want to change? Um, it's also a great time to introduce, uh, are you familiar with the X card yes. system? Yes. Yeah, so it's a great time to introduce something like X card so that if somebody feels it's too intense, well, that's what the X card's for. Um, so, yeah, you it's know, a, yeah, uh, it's a great way to get the level set, but also just like here are the expectations for behavior, here's mm -hmm. expectations yeah. for, you know, the type of storytelling we're going to do, even, you know, as Ursula was saying, if you're all going to be generally good or are you going to be okay with some anti-hero type of things? Like, you know, make sure everyone is on the same page about that is super important, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. So what what do you do if you have players that, like, some of them want to just inherently be good and then there's the ones that are just like, that's roof, fireball, I'm going to do it. Just, like, how do you, like, everybody has their different play style, but... How do you mesh them? How do you help make everybody feel like they're getting what they want out of the game? Part of uh, uh, what I've had to learn to juggle is that uh, if you've, how many players do we have? Six, I think. We have, we have uh, about, yeah, we have six currently. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a definite, uh, everybody needs to get to be the hero or feel like they are being focused on for uh, a, a, chunk of time like everybody needs something sort of to a certain extent special to them uh and it, it mostly my problem is that uh we have the the barbarian who is like you know all right fine i'm just gonna go hit it with an axe and or the everyone is trying to stealth and it's like fine let's just charge in and start killing things uh which you know it it I I will do the the are you sure you want to do that? And then <laughs> okay, is anyone trying to stop her from doing that? Or you know, friends, you 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 the the barbarian is about to run into the the field and uh full of the enemy. I anybody wanna wanna maybe you know argue against that or <laughs> yeah or something and if uh if no one does you know sometimes learning occurs although rarely and the thing is i have been that player too who is the one charging <laughs> in where angels fear to tread uh so it feels good uh, i mean i I always play a paladin. That's that's i i am i am a paladin basically to the core and uh some days you're just like, I am a tank. I will walk in and let the enemies all bash on me while everybody else, you know, gets in position. And 
so far, I haven't had any problems with we our, our group meshes pretty well. I haven't had too much difficulty with anyone who is uh, really determined to who is sort of playing against the GM as their kind of thing. I uh, even in like the the pickup sessions that uh, uh, we did on a, a cruise, we had uh, uh, we ran a little uh, short. Uh, one shot for some people on the the Jonathan Colton cruise. It, it awesome. Shout out to Severed Books and their um, oh where is it? Uh, their adaptation of the Lost Tomb of the Bitchin Chimera, the um, Dead Milkmen based <laughs> tribute uh, adventure, adventure tribute adventure tribute. Wow. Um, yeah, that Bichin was a lot Chimera, of fun. One shot. And uh, uh, yeah, there was a burrow owl bear, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> but I've been lucky in that I haven't had anybody come in who was just like you know determined to be the the uh, uh, the thorn in my side or something. Uh, Kevin, you've got a lot more experience shimming than I do. Lord knows. Um. So uh, yeah. Um. It's sometimes it's just you know. You can sit down with a player and say, hey, that it's not really that kind of game. Sometimes um, you have to, you know, do the, we would prefer you to leave. We understand we, <laughs> none of us are having fun anymore, including the GM. And uh, it's not, it's not us, it's you kind of discussion. <laughs> um, but uh, Those overall, I, yeah. Um, if if it's someone who just happens to get caught up and run away and cannot let go of this idea or something, sometimes you just have to find ways to um, settle with them in game. Uh, many 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 years ago, we won't talk about how many. Uh, we were playing a vampire campaign, and we had a Malkavian who was strong personality, running the whole, basically railroading through everything. He had an idea what he was going to run with and what he wanted to do and plot rest of the group be damned. Um, and eventually I had to, you know, use the GM, the, the GM hand of smiting to say, okay, in doing all of this, you have angered something much bigger and much, much more powerful than you are. And now you have to deal with that. Mm. And that sort of, you know, it, depending on the group, that may be what you have to do. Maybe that player will never come back if that's what you have to do. Maybe the player will be, okay, well, we'll maybe I'll back off now because apparently I have, you know, mistakes have been made. <laughs> um, well, knowing what you know now about session zeros and the check-ins that you've been talking about, maybe that type of a tactic might have worked. Uh, I, I appreciate doing it in-game. I love resolving player conflict yeah, in game. Uh, yeah. I think sometimes that can have some of the most exciting drama uh, happen. But if it's so lopsided, perhaps it is more of a, let's do a level set uh, check-in conversation mm -hmm. out of game yes. so that everyone knows the expectations uh, there. Would you Would you have maybe done that a little bit differently, you think? I, I probably, had I known about the tools, had I thought about it um, then, I mean, this was... yeah. Ancient history. <laughs> a, long, a, long, a long time ago, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I probably would have... Knowing what I know now, I would have done it I, I would have done it differently. And I think that's one of the challenges if you're doing pickup groups or mm. you've 
you know, or hey, I'm trying to, I'm running a game and I'm looking for, you know, looking for group, looking for players kind of thing, is you have to interview your players. You have to, you know, you can't just necessarily know how someone's going to play because, um, you know, you knew them in high school 20 years ago mm-hmm. or five years ago or whatever, um, you, as unless you played with them before. Um, and you obviously are not going to know, like, that person who you thought was really cool at your local game store is now coming into your group and it turns out, you know, uh, they're a toxic min-maxer. Min You're not going to know that if you just jump in and play. You have to have sort of that mm-hmm. uh, interview session, that session zero, that all those sorts of talks. Um, and I wish I'd known then what I know now. I probably would have not run Vampire the Masquerade <laughs> in general, but uh, that's a whole other thought process. <laughs> yeah. right? Well, you've leveled up. That's good. Yeah, I, th- uh, I Lord knows my Shatterrun games of my college years would have been very different if we had some of those things in place. But also, you know, I was 17, so... Right. Uh, Maybe not. Your brain hadn't fully formed yet either, too. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I like yeah. the idea of, uh, well, A, DMs leveling up, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of having this... Uh, resurgence of skills and tools and things and the, and the community talking about that, uh, I think that's really important and vital. But I think beyond that, also, there is this, there, there's more people playing uh, a, a tabletop games, mm-hmm. right? Where it, before, you had a very small subset of people, perhaps. Maybe they were your friends in real life. Maybe they're not the best role players or the best role players that match with your style, right? And I think mm-hmm. now with the uh, virtual tools that are available, you can kind of pick and choose the different players that might work well for the different types yeah. of games that you want to run. I think that's just something that in general... As opposed to, oh God, shifted. we just need four four or five warm bodies yeah. to, to fill this out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I was the only girl in the, the RPG group for many, many a, a session because, and I was probably there because they needed a warm body, but uh, yeah. <laughs> It's well, and that's changed now too. There's a lot more women playing, oh, yeah. uh, a lot more people from from other marginalized com- uh, communities who are infusing some of these ideas uh, into the rest of the community, which yeah. I think is really great. Oh yeah, yeah. Kevin's the only straight white guy in, uh, <laughs> in the, the <laughs> campaign. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting because that means also as a GM you have to shift your perspectives, right? Because what I might have done in D and D, you know, AD and D 1.0 is completely unacceptable by today's standards, right? Um, How I might have resolved conflict when it was, you know, four geeky guys around a lunch table. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, um, you know, is completely unacceptable now. Right, because uh, one, we've all grown as people. Two, society has changed. And three, in order to make the game more accessible, we have to be open to understanding more about not just rules or adventures or worlds, but how the stories we tell are going to impact the people we're telling them to or we're telling them with. Because in a lot of ways, it is a collaborative story that you're working on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will point out that uh, for a, a amusing version of this, uh, we we 
tried to our our old group uh we tried to convert everybody uh i was playing with Paladin. we had pamphlets any enemy we would try to convert <laughs> and to, to the religion of your of your real, of your the paladin yeah, yeah. Uh, i the, i, yes, I literally the, had to create a magic item called the um the wallet of infinite pamphlets <laughs> because of the sheer it was just the only way i could handle that you know the first thing that her paladin is going to do when any sort of conflict is being oh, entered into is, God. may I hand you a pamphlet and tell you the story of the silver weasel, right? And I'm just like, how many pamphlets do you have? <laughs> What's the weight on? Okay, fine. I will just make a magic oh, item where you just amazing. reach into it and pull out a pamphlet. That that's, is amazing. It's just the easy it way. The yeah. But anyway, Kevin discovered the only way to keep us from trying to convert everybody was... Uh, if you, well, there was an enemy he really wanted dead, he would make them racist. And then we would kill them with a, we wouldn't try to convert them. We would slaughter them. We were like, oh no, oh no, we're not having this. Not in my time. Awesome speciesist is more, is more than, than racist. But yes. yeah, I mean, it's, it's sometimes you have to find that point where it's what like, okay, them? what is the one thing that I know this group will not put up with? Yeah. What will motivate them to end the evil instead of attempting to rehabilitate it? And, you know, I have in my back pocket all of the things they attempted to rehabilitate over the years, and maybe it didn't take. Mm, we'll find out. I have mm. to also think, when you were talking about the different play styles and, the, and you know, responding to a, a diverse group of players as a GM, Ursula, as a writer of so many books, but for so many different audiences, like, you're kind of naturally doing that because obviously like knowing your kid audience versus your comic book audience versus your adult novels. I think, uh, I think it looks like that more than it is. I, I tend to honestly <laughs> it's have the like editor. one voice. Uh, a lot of it is there, but honestly, all of my books uh, tend to sound very similar. I want to say it's, uh, I, I just have the one writing style. They just repackage it for uh, uh, whatever. And the setting determines, you know, whether it's fantasy or horror. Uh, and like the only way that I ever know I'm writing horror is if I'm writing in first person, it's a horror novel. And if I'm um, writing in third person, it's a fantasy novel. So go figure. Uh, and then I, I frequently will come in with, uh, I, I would send books to my editor that I was like, is this a kid's book? Do you want it? And they would be like, that's ah, not a kid's book. Uh, nice try. Why don't you... Uh, why don't you self-publish that one? And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I am I am fortunate. I, I have a pen name, T. Kingfisher, where I did a lot of self-publishing. And then T. Kingfisher started getting traditional publishing deals, too, for the horror and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, it things went a little strange. But <laughs> So, speaking of, of T. Kingfisher, so I... Uh -oh. No, I am embarrassed that I didn't connect you and... T. Kingfisher, when I knew we were interviewing you, but your uh, book that came out like a week ago, a week and a half ago? Uh, what Moves the Dead, yes. What Moves the Dead is in my cart, um, and I always, you know, I put things in my cart. It's kind of how I do my my wish listing, and then I usually, yes, and then I usually just go to, to our indie store and, and purchase them, but that cover is isn't so, it fantastic? I know we're not supposed to judge books by their covers, but <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I'm yeah, like, what is that, I think it, it was on Christina like a list. Mrozic. Christina Mrozic oh. did the, uh, the artwork, and, and they showed it to me, and I was like, 
I, okay, will you put me in touch with the artist so that I may buy the original because holy. Oh, yes, definitely. So like it, it, it must've been like on like a list of like the, the like hot books coming but and it's, it's it stood right out, pressure. and I was like, "Well, I don't even know what this is about, but I I need it." But it's <laughs> actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about I, some it's of your a books? Retelling of the fall of the House of Usher, pretty much, mm-hmm. uh, with a uh, the the protagonist, and I know it's horror because I wrote it in first person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, protagonist is this uh, uh, sort of laid back uh, retired soldier. It's set in like, you know, the 1890s in a completely made up tiny European country. And there are lots of really terrible things going on at, at the Usher Manor that uh, uh, the actual fall of the House of Usher is really short. And I read it and uh, reread it, you know, and was like, wow, this is a lot shorter than I thought. Poe doesn't explain anything. And damn it, I want to get in there and get explanations for all of this. And I want (sighs) Madeline Usher to have more lines or any (laughs) lines. And uh, so, yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. I I say it's sort of a fun gothic romp with uh, some body horror thrown in. (laughs) Oh, it's so cool. I like the title, the cover, the, the synopsis, everything. So definitely, if you're listening... Go get this book and just to oh, put it on your coffee table because it's yeah. so cool. It's not bedtime reading. I will say that much. Do not read, read it, it in bedtime. the daytime. Read it, yeah. You know, if you if you're if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, read it in the daytime. Um, I am sensitive to. Poor, that. Ask poor me how I know. Yeah. Read all of <laughs> my you know books that? at about the uh, about the two thirds point. I go through this crisis of faith where I'm like, "This book shames my ancestors." Kevin, read it and tell me if it shames my ancestors. And uh, so, yeah, I have read more <laughs> incomplete T. Kingfisher novels than uh, <laughs> and and kids books and. Uh, the the famous story of how she burst in while I was taking a shower one morning because she had uh, a flash of her own mortality and had to tell me how Digger ended right now. Digger is the comic. Digger of was a, a, a web comic I did for eight years, and I realized one day if I died, it would never be done. And I was like, I got to tell Kevin how it ends so that someone. Oh can my god! The, that is, and he happened to be in the shower at the time, but uh. yeah, <laughs> great responsibility. Yeah. Yes, I see I'm a new like, anthology coming, yeah. like the incomplete works of T. Kingfisher. I, I, I hope not. He'll publish them all. <laughs> or hire somebody to, uh, to, um, to finish them. Brandon um, Sanderson style. You know. uh, maybe not. <laughs> I, I love Brandon, but maybe not Brandon Sanderson style. It's, uh, you know, great guy, well, fantastic writer. But yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, where did uh, right. where did T. Kingfisher come from? Where where did you get your pen name from? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm a bird watcher, and I really like kingfishers. But actually, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, who is a much more famous uh, Ursula than I will ever be, uh, was a uh, without tentacles under a pseudonym <laughs> once. Uh, because Playboy said they didn't want a, they were like, some of our readers will be intimidated by having a female name on them. So can you be UK Le Guin? And she was like, who do they think UK is? Ulysses Kingfisher? And uh, so I was going for a sort of gender neutral name mm. and uh, wound up with T Kingfisher because, you know, 
And people are always like, what does the T stand for? And I'm like, the. (laughs) (laughs) If you could have it be the Kingfisher, you would. I love that. (laughs) That's great. Um, I am like to fancy myself an amateur bird watcher. Have you, do you have this book? Oh, I, this I think I've dumb, seen that one, but the, that's awesome. The Field Guide to Dumb Birds of North America. It just kind of just makes fun of the birds, but it's, it's actually oh, very it, funny. No, no, we, we, <laughs> we, we make fun of them all the time. You, you will, people are like, you must love birds if you're a bird watcher. You're like, love is uh, not exactly the emotion I'm feeling. It's mostly you stand there with your binoculars and you curse the bird and are like, come on, come out where I can see you, you little. <laughs> I can hear you. you. Little kingfisher. Yes. Well, yep. this, they, they changed the names. Like, so like, obviously this one is the Eastern King bird, but then they call it the Eastern King butt. <laughs> so it's totally up my Did alley. Quinn anyway, write this? <laughs> I know. <laughs> So I can get my son also into bird watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also wanted to ask Kevin about uh, productivity. Since yes. that is something that is what, extremely what do you hard to do. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. So um, your podcast, what's how did that come about? Um, so first off, we had already been doing a podcast, and it was you know on it was physically grueling. That was Kevin and Ursula eat cheap, and. Um, uh, we had we were wrapping up a short it it was supposed to be short uh you know five minutes long and it ended up with um by the time we were done almost 900 episodes and a six-year storyline um but through all of that i found myself falling I'm, back i'm really bad about falling into continuity you leave it alone yeah, too long yeah. and continuity happens Plot, plot happens, right? Um, but yeah. uh, through through all of it, one of the things I've been interested in for uh, a very long time um, since you remember the old Life Hacker site mm-hmm. and the the DIY planner movement and uh, and uh, yeah. uh, you know when getting things done was really starting to become like the productivity system, the hot thing on the internet and all that. I, I started yeah. to fall into that hole and spent I've spent the last you know. 20 some odd years reading up on it, experimenting with different systems. And I said, you know, maybe I should share this. It would be fun. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, how do other people do it? Because I know what the internet experts and the productivity gurus do. But like, what about, um, you know, Bob my friend Liz, the accounting. artist. Yeah, Bob <laughs> from accounting. Or like I said, our friend Liz from uh, you know, the artist who's also part of the D&D group are, you know, my boss, uh, one of my managers, some of my coworkers. And I just started talking to people and interviewing people about how to do it and then I share it every week. Um, hmm. And also at the time, Ursula was struggling to keep track of everything, to, you know, figure it out. So we said, you know what, why don't I take this as a let's see if we can find a system that works for Ursula. Through it all, we also, um, you know, uh, Ursula finally got her diagnosis for ADHD. It turns Um, out the system is called medication. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But through it all, you know, um, I've been sharing the knowledge I've gained. I've been learning new things. Um, Ursula's been learning new things, uh, and not just medication. Um, and 
you know, finding out, I, I say it's productivity alchemy is about normal people being productive. And I've talked to housewives. I've talked to, um, I'm sorry, housewives is the wrong term. Stay at home parents. Um, I've talked oh, I, to. Oh, I got excited. I thought you meant like the real housewives. And I was like, who have you talked housewives? to? <laughs> I wish. No, um, award winning authors. Um, <laughs> uh, I just, as a matter of fact, two weeks ago, um, Mary Robinette Kowal was my guest. Oh, and I yeah. love talk to her. Mary Robinette. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, but uh, but I've also had people on it whose goal through the day is they are, you know, they have a systematic uh, immunocompromised debilitating disease that means that they're some days their their productivity means they lived. Right? <laughs> Literally, they yeah. lived. Yeah. And it's been and, and, and an the weed experience. nun. Don't forget the weed oh nun. Oh my yes, they're a, a lovely group of 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 uh um I want to call them uh secular nuns um uh, in California who are producing uh both hemp and marijuana based products. Um yeah. all right. Yeah. And, and but Secular, the, the though they're of, not they're not affiliated with a the religion. They're just like we like to live together and and, and, and venerate something and communally and things like that. But the thing is that Sister Mary, who founded it, she's a former corporate like uh, VP. So oh. she was sitting there going, "Why, yes, I use you know, I have this. Here's the planner. Here's the method. How here's very like very deliberate in how she organizes, how she they market things, how they." You know, and and very intentional. It was an amazing conversation. Um, it's just Ursula likes to make fun of it because you know it, she was. I, I say weed <laughs> nun with the greatest respect <laughs> and admiration. Yeah. I want to be a weed yes. nun. Yeah, I right? mean, uh, no, it's it, there's there's a bit of awe in there. Who who wouldn't want to be a weed nun? Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now this all makes sense and as to why uh, you did not talk to anybody from the Real Housewives of any cities because these are actually productive people. You're Stop it, to. Greg. How dare you? <laughs> I, I, I would be, you know what? I've, I've they produce more than drama. Uh, having watched some of the people we think as vapid stars um, and how what they're doing is actually really complicated and managing their image and working with people to make sure, you know, it's not like there's a lot of deliberation. Yes, their whole lives are deliberate. Produced. Yeah, yeah, and, not and by them. it's very no, deliberate and step by step. And I would love to not only talk to them but talk to their personal assistants oh, just yeah. about how they keep everything on track. Because you I, know, every last one of them has a personal assistant. I wish I had they a do. personal assistant. I'm right. Some, all of them do. Sometimes yeah. they call them interns and they don't pay them. That was Sonia Morgan. So it's expo- exploitation yeah. is, is there? Yeah, well, yeah that's a little bit. Um, but I kind of, I really, for a long I time, like, people kept telling me I should get an intern. I'm like, no, I, I, I do not support interns. Also, I can't afford to pay anyone a living wage. <laughs> but they'll get. Think of what they'll gain in experience. <laughs> uh, to yeah. quote our and fresh friend, eggs. Um, I was, well, yeah, fresh <laughs> eggs. But to quote our friend uh, Elizabeth Bear, who lives up in New Hampshire, you know, exposure kills. So don't do it just for the exposure. People will die of exposure. Die of exposure. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I like, I love the whole concept of the Kevin and, and the idea of kind of producing a, um, 
like a life coach for productivity or like a personal stylist, but for productivity. Like, here's, tell me what your, what your needs are. And I want to put together like a specially curated plan for you. Except it, it never works that way. You, it's a growth process. Um, mm. You know, even earlier this year, I took a course on a organizational system I had been fascinated by for two years um, because I wanted to take the course and I wanted to learn more um, and about how it may or may not. So it's it's a journey, and I don't know anyone who has hasn't said um, this is the system that works for me, and I haven't changed it in thirty years. Yeah, it's always especially evolving, in the last. Right? Like three years, right. uh, I know so many people are like, I had to reset everything. I had to redesign the whole thing because my life had an upheaval. Well, everybody's lives had an upheaval, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 not a here's a system tailored for you. It's let's sit down, let's. I don't actually do this professionally because who has time between the games and the day job and actually recording a podcast. Um, but, um, you know, in, yeah. in any case, it's always, it, it, it should be more of a, a, let's start a discussion about what your needs are. Let's start small. Let's grow from there. That's how we started with Ursula. Let's talk about, uh, I tried to do the whole mission, vision, values, and let's define <laughs> these things and goal planning with her. And it was a horrible experience for my, both of us. Uh, my, well, no, I had fun. It just it turns out that my mission <laughs> statement was not, uh, I, I, I wish to not die in a ditch next to Walmart. And yeah. uh, that was my hey, life goal. You know, and, that's powerful. Yeah. And yeah. we have a friend now who's promised to drag her from the ditch at Walmart over to the better ditch at Target. I was just going to say, yeah. like, Target, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I think I may have that. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> that's better. Do you still do the Kevin and Ursula Eat Cheap podcast? I ask because I humbly request to be your guest on that. I'd like to join you on that journey. We we <laughs> would love to have you, but we uh, our, our bodies couldn't take it anymore. We were eating this terrible prepackaged food. Like uh, that was the thing is we would get uh, uh, like prepackaged food and sample it and review it and and good alcohol because you need good alcohol after yeah. so many of those episodes. You need to be hammered just to be able to eat some of those. It's things like after it's a point. just yeah. the funniest concept for a podcast. I just loved it. And, and people would send us boxes of of a prepackaged food. For from their oh. countries. And so we would have, you know, uh, uh, instant durian flavored coffee and cans oh. of and all kinds of terrible things. Oh, and, what larva? Uh, silkworm. silkworm. Canned silkworm. Silkworm people. larva. No. Yes, they were terrible. Uh, <laughs> I am told that they are uh, uh, better if you get them in country from like a stall or a vendor where they sell them to you hot and they, they're a lot different than if you get them cold in a can where they're basically taste of soy sauce and tin and they're a little leathery sack full of sand. But okay, I, I, I take back my, my, I don't want well, to do I mean, podcast. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> and uh, I mean, but you know, the, the we also I mean, eat a lot but, of lean cuisine. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that I can do. Uh, and never buy, uh, what was it, any Archer Farms instant meal at Target. Don't do it. They're, they're oh, all God. terrible. I think I have. 
Yeah. Uh, the, um, uh, anyway, the I'm, point was that it, 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 we would have to do it. Originally, we'd do it Sunday night, and then we weren't we were hungover and sick on Monday, so we started doing it Saturday night. So we would have a day to be hungover and sick, and then we had to move to Friday night, so we'd have two days to recover. And finally, we we're like, this is physically destroying us. Yes, I love that you just kept trying. <laughs> I mean, oh, we went nearly three hundred episodes, but oh. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm sorry, I mean, you guys. <laughs> it I, sounds, I, sounds like you haven't recovered. It's yeah. been All what right. two, three years since the the last episode, and no, I don't think I have recovered. I mean, somewhere in there, I became, uh, I, I got high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and the genetically predisposition towards type two diabetes. It was literally killing me, and oh. so no, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry I brought this. Not up. all the same cause. <laughs> no, 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 I, think no. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> We, we loved doing the show, uh, and and people uh, uh, responded to it really well. We had we had lots of fans who who sent us food, and usually they would include a good food with the the scary stuff. And uh, That's good. Uh, lovely, lovely people that uh, uh, we met through it. But uh, yeah, it's, I'm I'm still stuck, stuck eating on the, a young person's game. I'm still stuck on the leathery sacks of sand oh, that taste like God. tin and soy sauce. Like I just if you toasted them until they got crunchy, belongs they were in better your horror books. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or in like a D and D, you can you or can work a D and D campaign. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know about oh, yeah, the D and D cookbook, right? Yes. Heroes yeah. feast. Yeah, I haven't made anything from it yet, but it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> the pictures true. are amazing. Oh yeah. As well, yeah, the recipes are good too. Well, we are. Uh, I mean, there, I feel like you guys have so many different uh, things to talk about. This, I, I feel like we only scratched the surface, but it was really. I'm uh, like, did we talk about D and D enough? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I loved it. I love uh, your rapport. You're obviously uh, productivity stars. I mean, just based on the 40 books and the amount of content you create, in addition to you know weekly D and D games and stuff, like you, you've got something figured out. We've actually been on hiatus for a week or two because we had COVID, but uh, uh, oh. we'll be yeah. getting back Take to a it break. next week, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's please. exciting. I want to get my people... warlock out and play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is uh, the best way to kind of follow all the various things you guys are doing? Uh, for me, go to Twitter, and uh, I'm Ursula V. That's U-R-S-U-L-A-V, and you can sign up for my newsletter there through review, and that uh, way if you miss the drinking from the fire hose of Twitter, it's uh, easier to find. Uh, I have a website at Red Wombat Studio that has links to the old podcasts and to most of the books. I need to update it with the last two Uh because I'm publishing them too quickly for my <laughs> website update skills. Wow. Awesome. Kevin? I just followed you. Uh, what's, uh, what about you, uh, Kevin? Uh, so productivityalchemy.com and is where uh, the podcast lives. Um, and then on Twitter, I am K-S-O-N-N-E-Y, K-Sunny. Um, I am not as prolific a Twitter poster as Ursula is, but uh, anytime... I see something interesting, or when a new podcast episode comes out, it goes straight into the feed. Um, and lots occasionally, of pictures of his chickens. Lots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I want to see that. Yeah. Um, I, I am a little behind on chicken pictures, but it's also been blisteringly hot out. And, mm. um, you know, I'm going out just long enough to refresh their water and give them treats and then come back in until sundown, basically. 
<laughs> I also frequently on Monday nights will will live tweet our D and D sessions to at least oh, nice. the, the Cliff Notes versions. Uh, people are frequently like, "You should record and stream the sessions," and I'm like, "No one actually wants that. It's uh, it's three hours of us sitting around arguing about dice, or well, usually not even arguing, or getting distracted or muttering. <laughs> the highlights yeah. are much better." Yeah, everyone who wants to critical time role. Yeah, I was going to say, everyone who watches Critical Role or some of the other live plays doesn't realize how much planning and effort and editing goes into those at the end of the day, right? For sure. So there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. Editors in general, for anything, just don't get enough credit for the work they, they really do. don't. I, I live and die by mine. Mm-hmm. I love Credit it. to I Ryan Marth. Yes. Shout out. Yep. That's you, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you both again for coming on. Uh, it was wonderful talking to you. Uh, I love that uh, we got to hear about birds and <laughs> silkworms and children's books. A little bit about D&D here. And there. At D&D and <laughs> sessions zeros and all of above. Uh, you're, both, you're both amazing. And I yes. uh, hope, yeah, hope it all continues with amazingness. Thank you so much Thank for you. having us on. It's delightful to talk about what we do and geek out about, you know, our nerdy hobbies and whatnot. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Also, the one bit of wisdom I've learned as a GM, if you can't get them to do anything, put their pets in danger and you will never see a party move so fast. Ooh, good That's advice. a really important nugget. I'm still mad you killed my familiar. Oh, whoa. <laughs> we didn't It was on an that. accident. <laughs> <laughs> Look, well, that's I'm a great you note to end time. on, I think. Create an extraction right? role on my barbarian. And, <laughs> and now it all comes out. Yeah, yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back on for some counseling. Greg and I will be the impartial judges. Killing the familiar, though. I don't know. Well, after, after creating a, bra- a, a, a mind flare brain extraction roll and doing something like 120 some points of damage 190 points of damage what yeah to my barbarian yeah (laughs) oops it was fine they did a whole it's still good just get the brain out of the mind flare we can raise dead as long as you've still got it doesn't matter if it's been chewed on just shove it back in just shove it back (laughs) in oh my god I love it shove it back wow All right. Well, I, I f- follow both of you uh, on Twitter, I say, or to our listeners for all of this hilariousness. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Thank you. What an adorable couple. Love it. I feel like they've got so many things uh, figured out. They got chickens, they got foods, stray that you animals, avoid. cute cats in the background. Yes, they do so much and they just seem just so lovely and fun. And he, uh, Kevin being in IT, how sweet was that? And he was like, oh, I forgot to adjust your headphones before. Know, I'm right? so sorry. Like, oh, everybody needs a Kevin. Everybody needs a Kevin. In some ways, I'm the Kevin of my household, and I resent it, especially when <laughs> especially when they have Apple products. I'm like, nope, sorry. You're I don't do a, IT on Apple products. I'm you're a reluctant, a reluctant Kevin. I'm a reluctant Kevin. That's very true. Although yeah. I did fix my daughter's computer yesterday that I was very proud of. Uh, I just basically took it apart. Did one thing and I was like, I, "Oh, it's working again." I don't understand how you yeah. take things apart, but whatever, <laughs> and put them back. 
Well, I understand that all of our listeners should now be following everything we do on the D&D YouTube channel, on the D&D social channels. Give a big follow to all of those. But if you would like to find out more about what Shelly and I are doing, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Check that Instagram out for some camping pictures. I was just camping in the Olympic Mountains and put up some amazing, beautiful photos of what it looks like uh, in the Olympic Peninsula. What about you, Shelly Moot? It looked really nice. Um, I don't have any camping pictures because I don't camp. But um, You're a real housewife. That's I'm a real housewife. And I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and, and Instagram. And if you you know like want to chat about The Real Housewives or the new season of The Bachelorette, please hit me up. Or just make fun of me for not liking those, either of those things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, gang yes. up. I'm, I'm all for it. Gang up on Greg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking of which, we got to figure out what's going on with Drunky Two Shoes. She has uh, completed her task for Laryl Silverhand in Waterdeep and is resting in Castle Waterdeep under the care of the open lady of the city. Uh, but your brother, Daryl Two Shoes, is kind of like the pet's advice that Ursula gave us, where I will constantly put Daryl in danger uh, and. Drunky yeah. has uh, no choice but to follow. Um, but you had you had gone up into a tower. You'd seen a uh, a discussion. You weren't really sure what it was about. Uh, but then you went back into your room, um, and the, it is the morning. You've kind of had your long rest. You have all of your spells back. You're all at full hit points. And there is a knock at the door. Uh, hello? Yes, this is uh, the servant of Lyra Silverhand. She has requested an audience with you immediately. Whoa, okay. Is there like a peephole that I can look through? Yes. Okay, I do with my little kitty eye. Yes, and you see a a very officious looking uh, short man. Um, He looks like he's got like a scroll in front of him with a a quill and he's, you know, he's got the equivalent of like a PA on a set or something like that. Like he's just very like, all right, hurry up. Mm, And he's got big bushy eyebrows. Can she come here? Absolutely not. You must uh, come with me immediately. I'm going to do an insight check. All right. And that is a 15. 15. Um, He just seems like a overworked, uh, underpaid um, official here in Waterdeep. You don't detect any uh, nefariousness. He's just trying to keep things moving. Okay. I'm going to go with him. Open the door slowly. Okay. I look down the hallway. Yes. Are you dressed? Let's go. Yeah. Of course I am. Come, come with me. Do um, I need to, my bags? Am I leaving or what? Please take your stuff with you. Oh, okay. I guess I only get one night here. All right. That's right. Okay. All right. All right. So he he takes you down uh, many corridors in Castle Waterdeep. They're all, uh, you know, lined with tapestries and, you know, uh, armor cases and things like that. And you make lots of lefts. You take a left or right or up, down. You go up a flight of stairs. You go down a flight of stairs. Oh. It's, it's kind of like... Have you seen the uh, severance? <laughs> it's kind of like you're constantly oh, moving I, yeah. towards all of these places. Uh, but he unerringly goes where he needs to go. Okay. Um, and you see other people, other officials and other things uh, moving throughout the castle as well. Okay. Uh, eventually, you get to a uh, room that is, or a doorway that is closed, wooden doorway. It doesn't have any kind of uh, special markings on it whatsoever. Um, and okay. he goes and he does like a, a, a complicated knock on the door. 
bunch of different sounds on it. Okay. And uh, a slot hole opens up, and uh, you see a set of eyes, and the door opens. Is this a part of the castle that I have seen before, or am I in a totally different area? It's a it's a different area than you have seen before, but it is similar to the reception area that you had been to okay. uh, earlier. Uh, but it is it is new. Okay. Um, and inside, uh, there is another uh, table in the center of the room, and behind in it seating is uh, Laryl Silverhand, uh, oh. with only a few guards on either side of her. Uh, and she says, yes, come in. Hi. Thank you for the hospitality. It's been wonderful. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I apologize for the uh, amount of secrecy that is needed here, but with the recent uh, attack of doppelgangers as well as um, the uh, potential for infiltration, I have finally necessary to move my meeting places uh, several times throughout the day and keeping that secret only... Um, Victor here uh, is aware of my travels, and he, oh. he, he gestures to the uh, to the small man who escorted you here. Okay, guess that that answers why the urgency this morning. But okay. mm. thanks. We have. I, I apologize. I must cut directly to the chase. Yes, please. Um, my diviners have determined where your brother currently is. Okay. As I said, he is not on the material plane. Okay. In order to bring him back, uh, if that is your wish, uh, yes. we would need to cast a extremely difficult magical spell in order to transport you to where he is and bring him back. Oh, I I will be transported to where he is and bring him back. We can't just like cast like a magic lasso and just bring him back. Ourselves? Unfortunately, that is not possible. Is he safe? We were able to determine that he was alive uh, and that he was not in pain. Is, so what else, where is he? Do you know? He is in a region we have just recently found information on uh, in the ethereal plane. It so is called the Radiant yeah. Citadel. A radiant citadel. Sounds amazing. Oh, somebody should write a book about that. Indeed. Uh, um, how did he get there? Who did As this? As I said, it was a spell uh, that I had to cast in order to save oh, him from you did. the falling doppelganger. But I forgot. We will pick this up next time. <laughs> All right. Well. Let's go shopping for some spell components because we're doing this. All right, then. Thank Great. you. Great. We will indeed uh, get I'm you transported going, there. Woo! Going to the Radiant Citadel! That's right! Yeah! All right, Daryl. Coming for you. Coming for you.